They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. Yes, yes, yes. iTunes, SoundCloud.com, episode 80 of the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita here with you. Johnny Meats, how's that sound? Episode 80. It's so hard to believe, my friend. 80 episodes of this action, but uh, it's been so much fun. We've had a ball doing it, and uh, you know, looking forward to getting that hundo mark. And I'll take a trip out. Sean and I will take a trip out. See and I, and we'll do it live and in person, yes. wherever we are. Yes, hundred. Yeah, the we're gonna century. make a big deal of that one. The century. Yeah, the what century is mar- what is the one hundred like? Is that like is, is that platinum? Is that gold? Is that silver? What what? How do you? What is 100? Uh-huh. For but, us, it's got to be at least gold, yeah. if not, you yeah. know, more. Yeah. Platinum? So, is platinum worth more than gold? I don't know these things. Yeah. Platinum is much more expensive. There you go. Gold. Holler. It's the platinum edition coming up. That's uh, the most precious, yeah, metal. <laughs> Love it. Platinum. Love it. Uh, it's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Appreciate all the love and support. Check us out on Twitter, at Love Podcast, at Love Podcast. We're going to uh, spread the love. Later on in this episode, get that segment rolling again. We're going to talk about Super Bowl 51 right around the corner for you. And uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie with somewhat of a bold maneuver uh, that made some headlines about a week or so ago. But we're going to start, my friend, with none other than the nation because uh, it was looking hairy for a while. Oh, yeah. Woo! But the Wildcats prevailed over the weekend against Virginia. Sold out Wells Fargo Center. How was it, brother? 61-59 the final over the uh, tough, tough uh, defensively grinded out number 12 Cavaliers at the time, Virginia Cavaliers. Yeah, well, the Virginia Cavaliers are such a well-coached team with Tony Bennett, and they always make it difficult on their opponents, and they always play great defense. And they're the type of team that likes to slow you down. They play this dull and boring half-court offense, but they seem to take great shots. They don't really rush it. It's not really a great matchup for Villanova. Last year, uh, they were able to take out the Wildcats. That game took place in Charlottesville. This year, the first half for Villanova was an absolute sleeper, shooting 4 of 22 from the floor. Thank God they were hitting their foul shots. That pretty much kept them in the game. But yep. then second half, second half they started to get some things rolling. Um, they usually, you know, usually when their defense ramps it up, they're able to get themselves some better shots and better looks, and that's kind of what happened. They kind of locked it down on the other end of the floor, and then they were able to get some transition three-pointers. Second half, totally different story. Villanova ended up shooting like 72.8% in the second half, and they were 6-6. Six behind the three-point line, whereas in the first half, I think they were one of ten. And it came before, and you know, it was good for them to get the win at the buzzer, and that was uh, 
it's just a back and forth. Arnova was having fits trying to guard that freshman sniper that Virginia had. He was just anybody that Villanova put on him, he was just killing him. Yeah. Um, but but all in all, it was a good another out of conference. It's a good win for them. They've pretty much been everybody out of conference. And their only two losses coming to Big East foes, Butler and Marquette. And Marquette, that was a Tuesday night game, so I'll just touch on that real quick. Nova pretty much had the game in control till about the last eight minutes, and then their offense got extremely stagnant where they were just you know, making one pass and then jacking a three-pointer. They had no business of losing that game, but they did on Tuesday night. So this is a great bounce-back win for the Cats. They now find themselves number four in the country after being number one, which I'm totally fine with. Listen, like, if you're going to – those things don't matter where you're ranked. It's yeah. basically they're going to finish strong. They're either going to get either a number one or a number two seed and go from there. So I think this is going to be, you know, a good run for them. It's The problem is it's just they don't have the depth that they did last year. Yeah. If a couple of these guys, if Phil Booth was healthy, he looks like he'll redshirt, and they had the freshman Omari Spellman, you know, if he wasn't suspended and definitely by the NCAA for at least one year, then I think they could make a, a really strong run at repeating. It's going to be hard, but you look at the college basketball landscape, again, it's completely wide open. There are a couple teams that are extremely good, but nobody's actually separating themselves as you see this team in March, in all likelihood, you're going to go down. But, yeah, yeah. so Look, we'll see what happens. They're 20-2 and two on the year, and I'll say this about when you get to March and April after having watched a lot of the game uh, over the weekend against Virginia. If you don't deliver the knockout blow to Villanova, you're doing yourself a disservice because there's no reason, there's no way in hell that Villanova should have been in that game late in the second half, and they were – you point out because they were getting to the free throw line and because their defense started to ramp it up. But that first half could have been a 15-point lead for Virginia, and it's probably lights out. So if you're going to take your shot at the Wildcats, my guess is if their offense isn't going, if Josh Hart and Chris Jenkins are over for the world combined in the first half, you better have put them away because they have the experience, they have the moxie, they're well-coached, they have confidence in their game. If you let them hang around... They're probably going to make it a game the last couple possessions, and I'll take my chance with the champs over a team that doesn't have as much experience or doesn't have the the championship banner hanging behind them. Yeah, they should have knocked them out. And that's the one thing about this team that that makes them so good is that whenever they face a little adversity or teams have kind of given them a punch, they, they just hung around. They literally had no business in winning that basketball game. But they just hung around, hung around. And, and good teams, that's what good teams do. And good players do. They win tight games like that. All right, uh, let's talk a little football, my friend, before we jump into a preview of Super Bowl 51 coming up on Sunday and kind of just quickly rehash the championship games uh, since our last podcast here on SoundCloud.com and iTunes. Some interesting Eagles news from the standpoint that uh, a guy you know very well from from your days growing up turned out to be the Eagles quarterback coach this year and flip. You know, the, the Jets were gonna hire him as their offensive coordinator as all you know, as all reports indicate. And it was actually Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie that kiboshed the thing, wouldn't let him take the interview, wouldn't let him take the job essentially. Uh and there was a little bit made around Philadelphia 
about kind of the the brass tacks that were used, the the almost oddity of the situation that Jeffrey Lurie as the owner stepped in uh, and didn't allow him permission to speak with the organization, with the Jets. It's very interesting that Howie Rosen and Doug Peterson signed off. It, it's You just don't know what his contract reads. Like, if I have the opportunity to move up, you know, basically I'm allowed to take a coordinator position and you'll give me the freedom to interview for a job that's a step up as opposed to maybe becoming another quarterback coach somewhere else. But I just think Jeffrey Lurie, the reason why he decided to pull this power move is that he's looked around the league and seen so many teams that have had young quarterbacks, but they keep kind of their coaching staffs or their quarterback coach or their offense coordinators have kind of been a revolving door and I think he wanted to keep the continuity intact because he feels like that is the best thing for his team and for his quarterback. So I don't know what happened behind the scenes as far as did he give John DeFlippo, Coach DeFlippo, a pay raise? I mean, that could have been in it. Did he promise him, listen, we'll let you after one more year, we'll let you interview wherever you want. We just need you right now for this next next year, which is crucial and you know, the maturity of Carson Wentz is a football player, so we don't know what went on there, but at, or is this something like maybe Frank Reich yeah. takes on a position somewhere else and then automatically he gets moved to the OC. But the other thing with that is, and all accounts have said that Doug Peterson was calling all the plays this year. So do you stick in the organization even though you might not have the opportunity to show your strengths as far as being a great play caller and offensive coordinator. So a lot of interesting uh, things and that, that go into this here, but it was let me, kind let of me ask you this, John the, the only Eagles talk. Did yeah. Jeffrey Lurie make the right move? Is it from a, from a business standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, uh, from a football standpoint, organizational factor it all in, yes or no, good move by Jeffrey Lurie? 100% I think it was a good move, even though it's – you never want to stop or impede somebody yes. from moving up the ladder because it's, you know, these opportunities in the NFL, there's so many, there's so few of them, so to speak. Yeah. And you, you never want to, somebody that's, you know, been good for your organization, you don't want to stop their progression. Yeah. But I think it was a good move because, to be honest with you, if they get Carson with some weapons, another good year of coaching, he could take another step. And, I've seen so many quarterbacks just go down the flu when they've had to change coaches every year. Yeah, it just does them no, a, you're right. a disservice. You're right, and I, and you know, guys that go through five offensive coordinators in six years, and um, yeah, look, from I love what Jeffrey Lurie did from a uh, continuity standpoint, a growing Carson Wentz standpoint, an organizational standpoint, a hundred percent on board. Now, from a ethical standpoint or a relationship standpoint, was it a bit shady? On the surface, yes. So that's why I don't know what was said behind the scenes. I think your point valid about possibly, you know, did they add some money to his contract? Did they give him the old little stick tap? Hey, man, uh, at some point Frank Reich's out of here. You're our guy. Uh, was was there that type of behind-the-scenes conversation? I'm assuming there was. Now, Jeffrey Lurie doesn't come out. He doesn't have to come out and talk to anybody, answer any questions. But it just seemed on the surface to be a bit odd that the owner was the one that stepped in and said, this ain't happening. That doesn't happen a lot. Something else. The other shoe's going to drop at some point here, I'd imagine. Uh, I just wonder if Flip is rattled, if 
he's pissed off at the organization, or, like I said, did they have some type of sidebar where he knows something else is going to happen down the line? He just has to be patient for that opportunity. We hope to have Flip on at some point, right? Um, we're thinking maybe post-Super Bowl. Uh, I doubt we could Absolutely. ask him about that, but certainly want to chat with him about the development of number 11 and Carson Wentz and, and how the Eagles season played out his first year with the organization. All right, uh, Brotherly Love Podcast here on SoundCloud.com and iTunes. The Super Bowl is Sunday. It's the Eagles and the uh, Ravens in Super Bowl 51. Uh, uh, what'd you make of the conference championship games, man? They were they were both kind of uh, sleepers, unfortunately. You know, they weren't exactly doozies. 44-21 Falcons over the Packers. I didn't see that coming. A lot of people feel the Packers ran out of gas. I guess, you know, if you're going to make an excuse for Green Bay, it was how could they possibly continue to play at that level given all their injuries, especially in Atlanta. Uh, and then Patriots 36, Steelers 17. Again, again, another game I thought would be much closer. I kind of thought Packers-Patriots. Uh, but in the end, it's it's Tom Brady going for his unprecedented Super Bowl title, uh, number five. And then you've got the Falcons and Matt Ryan, the local boy, looking for their first ever championship. How do you see this game playing out on Sunday? This is going to be interesting because New England's defense, like I said before, the conference championship games is – very underrated. Their coordinator, Matt Patricia, always puts in a solid game plan. I thought that it's just it, the one thing with Atlanta that's just amazing to me is just how balanced their offense is. Their, their balance is just incredible. When you look at it, they have two solid running backs, two running backs that can start on any team in the NFL. They have a great wide receiving core. Their tight end plays decent, and Julio Jones as a wide receiver you could argue the fact that he might be the best argue uh, he might be the best wide receiver in the National Football League for what he's done in two consecutive weeks throwing up like 180 reception or uh, receiving yards and two touchdowns so he, how I see hey, this, he, he's got to be the most athletically talented player on the field coming up on Sunday right and it's not even close from, uh, a, from, yeah, a, for, from a freak standpoint from a uh, game breaker standpoint. That's not a knock on some of the weapons around him or on the other sideline, you know. But Tom Brady's not an athletic freak; he's just cerebral right. and, and and better than everybody else. But to me, Julio Jones is, you know, he he he's your superstar. He's your diva. He he's the biggest star in the game. Yeah, he's he's going to be crucial. If you look at Belichick and what makes him such a fantastic head coach, it's the fact that he always zeroes in on the other team's best player. That's his whole, his whole goal is, how are we going to shut down this guy so he doesn't hurt us? We'll make the other people hurt him. And he's done that in previous Super Bowls. So it'll be interesting to see how they play Julio Jones. I mean, if they try to go man coverage with him, I don't think that. I know Julio Jones is going to see a lot of double teams. The question is, how do the Falcons combat that? Are they going to do some more you know, out of the backfield place with the running backs and trying to expose the the linebackers of the Patriots. So I think that's it's going to be interesting. I mean, right now I kind of give the nod to the Patriots because the experience, and I think Tom Brady, if Tom Brady wins this game, he will probably solidify himself as the greatest quarterback in NFL history. So it's going to be interesting, but I love the underdog in these situations and. The one thing, the one thing you have to do against Tom Brady, the only chance in hell that you have against him, is if you can pressure him and if you can hit him, 
you have a good shot. And the Atlanta Falcons have a defensive end by the name of Vic Beasley. I think he led the league this year in sacks with 16. But where you need to pressure Tom Brady, it's not necessarily from the edges, from the outside. It's can you bring that pressure up the middle with your inside linebackers? Can your D tackles get pressure up the middle and get his face so that he doesn't have a clear lane to throw the football down the field? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. Anytime you know you get an elite quarterback, if you get them moving around, if you get them off their quote unquote spot, if you make it uncomfortable for them, they're gonna have a longer day. Uh, I don't know that Atlanta's gonna be able to do that. Here, here's what I'm looking at for this football game. I'm seeing a young Falcons team, a lot of first and second year players, a lot, especially on defense. Now they're athletic. Can they run? Yes. Are they sideline to sideline? Uh, do they have that capability? Yes. Have they impressed to this point? Certainly. But the lights are brightest on Super Bowl Sunday. And if there's ever an advantage for a team, it's a team like the Patriots, where almost every single guy has been there, compared to the Falcons, where almost every single guy hasn't. And that can be the difference in a short span. The first 10 minutes, the first couple of series. You fall behind this New England team, and you're done because you're just spotting them points. So while Atlanta is looking at, holy smokes, look at this, this is a Super Bowl, if there's any moment of that at all, and Tom Brady and the Patriots take advantage of it, it could be lights out. I'm not going to overemphasize or put too much stock in how big the game is, magnitude, the, the buildup, but, but again, New England, for the most part, their roster has been there, and I, I really think that helps them. Now, Dan Quinn, Falcons head coach, has coached in Super Bowls. Can he bring that knowledge to help his team settle in? Probably. But again, you're talking about rookie safeties, rookie linebackers, guys that are excited. They want to make a play in the biggest game of their lives. And does that come back to haunt them early? Be something I'm looking at. The other thing is, too, and he's been a bit forgotten because New England is so interesting this year. I heard it the other day uh, described as a Swiss Army knife on offense. But they, they basically pick their poison with how they game plan you. And I kind of feel like if you're talking about a quick defense like Atlanta has, that LeGarrette Blunt is the answer for that quick defense. I wouldn't be shocked if New England comes out and they try and establish a run with Blunt between the tackles and, and over the course of four quarters, keep Matt Ryan and that offense off the field and basically try and wear down Atlanta's defense. I mean, that that to me is something I see possibly playing out for the Patriots. And when you're talking about giving an extra week to Brady and an extra week to Belichick and Matt Patricia, historically, it says that they're not, they're not going to come up small. They're not going to fumble this game away, so to speak. Now, can Atlanta win it? Sure. But at the end of the day, if my money is on a coach and a quarterback, two of the greatest ever, ever, and you're giving them an extra week on a game that could stamp both of their legacies forever as the greatest of all time. They're already Hall of Famers, but legitimately, if they win this title, it's it's over. I mean, the discussion is over, and Brady's 40 next year. He could ride off into the sunset. He won't, but he could as the great, uh, as the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I mean, I, I just don't know how you bet against him. I really don't. You got a final score prediction? Whew. Yeah, I think New England wins this game 34 34- 27. All right, I'm going 30-27 Patriots on a late, and I mean late field goal, reminiscent of Vinatieri winning Super Bowls for him, except this year it's Goskowski. Wow, ah. ah. good right. one, good one. All right, brother. Um, what else we got? Oh, spread the love. Let's spread the love. Let's see how. Let's fire spread up some tunes. Let's fire up some tunes here. Let me get some tunes going. 
Let's get a little, little tunage. Little. Oh, yeah. Oh, it just brings me right in the mood, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, you want to start? You want to wrap it up? I'll wrap it up. All right. I am spreading the love today, John Mita, to the one and only Black Jesus, Wayne Simmons. First time <laughs> NHL All-Star for the 28-year-old. And how about the All-Star Game MVP? I know it's a uh, it's a fan event. I know it's a a competition. It's not a game. It doesn't mean much. But for Wayne Simmons, the heart and soul of the Philadelphia Flyers, it had to be pretty special. Wayne Gretzky's there. He's a former king. The game was in Los Angeles. He doesn't have the most skill of the guys on the ice he was with. He didn't have the most speed. He doesn't have the greatest pedigree. He's probably not going to the Hall of Fame. He's not a you know a first, the number one overall draft pick like some of these kids. He's a veteran, but he's put in his time. He's become one of the best power forwards in the National Hockey League. His all-star nomination was certainly well-deserved. He's the best player on the Flyers, the most complete player on the Flyers. He brings it every single night. You could argue he's their captain, even though he doesn't have the C. When he's going, they're going. And it was just great to see Wayne Simmons. I didn't watch a lot of the game. But to see him win the truck and be the All-Star Game MVP, um, you know, with the whole 100 greatest players ceremony and all the pomp and circumstance that came with that weekend, I was just thrilled for Wayne Simmons and what he embodies as an athlete and a, and a person that brings joy to so many Philadelphia fans on a regular basis. And I, I found it also kind of very timely and interesting that you're talking about Wayne Gretzky, who basically brought hockey to the mainstream for all intents and purposes. You want to talk about trans-generational uh, athletes. You know, you got Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, uh, Wayne Gretzky, guys that literally changed the game, that widened and brought in the sport uh, for so many people, like a Wayne Simmons, like children that maybe were less fortunate in the inner cities, you know, African-Americans, just, just growing the game as a whole. And I feel like... In some ways, it was very symbolic that Wayne Gretzky was there coaching that team. He was part of the festivities. And then Wayne Simmons, you know, one of the few African-American players in the sport, is the All-Star Game MVP. I just thought it was very fitting in a lot of ways um, because if Gretzky never goes to Los Angeles, the game never really blows up the way that it did today. I know it's a long time ago now, and the game's in good hands with younger players. But the great one is the great one. And, and, and there's certainly pioneers that broke the color barrier. Uh, barrier in hockey. Willie O'Ree is one of them. Uh, and you're, you know, but Wayne Simmons is a guy that he's earned everything he's gotten. And I just thought it was really appropriate for him to be the MVP and to be out there with Wayne Gretzky. And I thought it was just a great moment uh, for the National Hockey League. So I'm spreading the love to Wayne Simmons, my boy Black Jesus. Much love. Huh. Well said, man. I was wondering if we are going to get Wayne or the nod, but. Uh... Yeah, that was great, man, to see him win that MVP award, for sure. All right, brother, spread it. I had to kill the music. I was getting a little feedback there. Yep, I got you. My spread the love goes to a legendary figure in the in the sports broadcasting industry. Nice. And we're going to have to go with Brett Musburger, who's making his final call tonight. He'll be calling the... University of Georgia versus Kentucky game at Rupp Arena tonight on Super Tuesday on ESPN. And this guy has just been a pioneer in the broadcasting profession for so many years. He got his rise to stardom in the 90s, 
basically working for CBS, the NFL Today show. And then his voice has been just, it's just when you hear him call a game, you know exactly who he is. Other achievements include getting inducted into Sportcasters slash Sportswriters Hall of Fame Association in 2011. He also received the Lifetime Achievement Award, the Vince Scully Award for Broadcasting in 2016. So here's to you, Brett. He always made it interesting with his calls. Being a sports, a former sports gambler, I should say, he always let the public know what exactly was going on with the point spread in his games. But <laughs> he's been a part of so many legendary calls. Sometimes he's made some crazy comments, but all in all, uh, just a great voice, just a great ambassador uh, of, of the sportscasting industry. And, uh, you know, big kudos to him. I think he's going out on a good note. Uh, obviously, we know things have changed at ESPN. They're making a lot of changes. But, uh, you know, big shout-out to Brent tonight. Hope he has a great last call. Hopefully the game is a, you know, a close call. Georgia's not that good. Kentucky is very good. So we shall see. But my spread of love goes to the great Brent Musburger. I love it, dude. Well said. You know me. I respect any man that's been in that business uh, as long as he has because uh, it's not always roses. Uh, a lot of bosses, a lot of travel, especially at his age, to keep grinding it out. Much love to Brent Musburger on his final call tonight. Good job, brother. Uh, what else you got All cooking? Right, Anything? Anything? What's cooking? Nothing. Nothing cooking, man. Just, uh, you know, looking for – hopefully this – you know me. I'm rooting for the Falcons 100% of this game. And I would love to see Matty Ice get a Super Bowl ring because, you know, he's been a great quarterback for so many years and hopefully he gets the MVP this year. And I just would love to see him upset Brady and Belichick because I can't stand those two. And it would be nice because if Matt Ryan loses this game, you know, how many years are they going to talk about, like, people talked about Peyton Manning. He's not really that good of a quarterback because he never won a Super Bowl. So let's hope the Falcons pull this thing off. But if they don't, you're witnessing history and greatness if the Patriots find a way to get it done again. So, looking forward to that game. Nova Nations playing St. John's. That game Saturday night. Hopefully, we can thump Chris Mullen and the Johnnies. And, uh, yeah, man, it's going to be an interesting tournament coming up. So. Yeah, the Wildcats got Providence tomorrow, too. So, uh, good stuff. Right, yeah, you know what? Dunkin Donuts. I, I think I'm going to root for – I think I'm going to root hard for the Falcons now. I think you swayed me. Not that I was going to root for the Pats, but I think I'm – I'm 100% Falcons now. I like that. That's a good take. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. All right, we'll be back at it next week. Hoping to have some good guests. Hoping to keep it rolling. Appreciate all the love and support. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Johnny Meter, you're the man, bro. You're the man, Joseph. Have right. a great call today. Yeah, PC Weeze. Till next time. Appreciate all the love and support. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.